We're in John chapter 4. We're going to pick up with verse 39 and go to the end of the chapter. And we're going to take a, a piece that some will think it needs to be the major attention, uh, but we're going to kind of look at it as an incidental story. Testimony and validation is the title of the message today. But first, there will be something that's connected to the last in this message. So I'm going to play a video shortly. And when you watch this video, you might be able to relate to it because maybe God is trying to say something to you and maybe you'll hear it for the first time today. Not a different kind of first, a little boy about to hear his dad's voice for the first time. This is the moment so many people are talking about. Grayson Clem, three years old, had never heard his father before. Captain, Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. Grayson points his finger there, hearing sound for the first time ever. Can you hear Daddy? Grayson was born without nerves in either of his ears. Watch as his father tries to talk to this little boy, who in this moment has turned back to his book. Show me, puppy. And little Grayson points to the puppy on that book. As the moment unfolds, Dad simply asks his little boy a question. Do you hear, Daddy? Yes? Everyone in the room recognizing it's almost too much for this little boy to comprehend at first. It's now been a month since that moment, and Grayson's mother tonight telling us she remembers it like it just happened. A mix of overwhelming joy, relief, excitement. Without those nerves in his ears, a cochlear implant at 18 months old didn't work. So here's what doctors did instead. An experimental procedure, complex brain surgery. So rare, he's the first child to have it in the U.S. Bypassing the ears altogether, surgeons inserted a tiny microchip directly out of the brain's sound processing center, right there in the brainstem, to stimulate hearing, skipping the ears, and going straight for the brain. The operation took eight hours, four weeks he would spend in the hospital, sleeping with that teddy bear. Grayson's mother telling us her son transformed. He's more aware of what's going on around him. Both parents knowing the first words he heard, Daddy loves you. Daddy loves you. <laughs> an interesting little story there, especially since uh, their hope was in the cochlear implant and it didn't work. And sometimes that's us, where our parents have hope. They bring us to church after talking to us about Jesus and they, they try to get us introduced to that sort of thing and it doesn't work. And then something else does. And maybe that something else is somebody on the radio, a book, a friend, whatever. It could be this morning. Let's go ahead and back up and look at some of the passages we've already looked at because it behooves us to do so. John chapter 4, verse 1 began like this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea 
and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. Now, I find it a little bit interesting, given the number of conversations I've had and will continue to have with people that would have responded like this today, if they saw this happening, they would say something like, oh, come on, Jesus, baptism is not important. You don't need it. Why are you doing this? I hear it a lot. I hear preachers, youth ministers, supposedly theologians say, baptism's not important. You shouldn't talk about it. You don't need it. It's not necessary. Jesus didn't believe that. I'm going to go with him. I think it's better to go with Scripture anyway. So there's a lot of attention been given to baptism already by the time we get to the start of John chapter 4. So we should give it the attention that God gave it, read the verses, and believe that it's true. He was having his disciples do all the baptizing. We got that. And then... He does some cool stuff. Um, There is, if you'll remember, the woman that he meets as he's on the way to Galilee, stopping in Samaria. He stops at Jacob's well, uh, and the story of Joseph is brought up, so there's an allusion to that. And you would think, like a lot of people think, like I had a preacher tell me when I was very young, I don't counsel women. You know, bad things have happened when a preacher is counseling a woman, so I I can't be alone in the room with a woman. Jesus was alone out there with a woman and reminded what happened to Joseph when he was alone with a woman, and yet he still talked to her. And she was not just any woman. She was a woman of ill repute. Jesus knew all about it. She had five husbands before, five failed marriages, and she's now in adultery living with a man. And he brings it all out in the open, confronts her, and she's amazed. You know, she's, she's quite impressed. And if you'll remember, a woman said to him, we pick up with this section in chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you. Am he. Big stuff. She's, she mentions the Hebrew transliteration into Greek. It gets lost in all the translation because now it's in English. But the Hebrew transliteration of Messiah means anointed one. The Greek, Christ, means anointed one. They, they mean the same thing, two different languages, and they're both put up here for English in our Bibles and on the wall behind me. But if you'll remember... When he answered, he said, I who speak to you am he. That's Hebrew. He probably spoke it in Hebrew, and you'll see the Hebrew word pop up behind me. I know you can't read it. So here's the way you take it and transliterate it, meaning drop the letter, the letter by letter. It's just consonants. There are no vowels. And over time, we've added vowels so that people like us can say it. And you'll see that up behind me, Yahweh. You've heard this before. We also get our word hallelujah from this same thing, same Hebrew word. But I want you to to know something you might not know already know. This word Yahweh, there are several theologians that I respect that believe Yahweh, that name of God, in the Hebrew without any vowels, is actually breathing sounds, a sound of breathing in and breathing out. When God said, 
I am. Tell him, I am sent you. He simply made breathing sounds because from God is where we get our breath of life. And when Jesus said, I, <laughs> I who speak to you am he, he was claiming that he is God. That's huge. And this is a, he's saying I am. Uh, it's a, the Old Testament reference out of Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me? And God spoke with those consonants, breathing sound, Yahweh. Tell him I am sent you. That's big stuff. Jesus just answered her in a big way. And we pick up with this next passage in this text, verse 28. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, I left my water jar. Can you help me? No, she didn't do that. Look what she did. Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? She's uh, using definitely some hyperbole here because he didn't tell her all that she ever did, but he definitely told her what she was currently in the middle of doing and what she had recently done. And I've got it in yellow up behind me in verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. That's important. That means they were arriving. They were there when he said, I am. That's important to note. Moving along. I want to show you a passage in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. I showed you this last week, but I want to show you the yellow. Just focus on that. This is when he visited Galilee at a later time. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In other words, he sees them as very lost. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And if you, if you think about it, that answer to that prayer, well, that, that does include us. I mean, his disciples are there. He's already had them baptizing people, and so, so they're the few, and he's asking that God will send out laborers into the harvest. And the reason why I brought this up last week and showed it to you is because of this passage in our text, verses four, chapter 4, verses 35 and 36. Remember this complicated one where we had to move already? You see that happen up behind me. Already gives this a sense of urgency. And you see this. He says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Now, the boy in the video at the beginning, if you'll remember, the mom said he's now more aware of what's going on around him because he couldn't hear what was happening behind him and he couldn't see it, so couldn't hear it. Couldn't hear those other sounds that are now obvious to him. It's one of those things that when you work in a very violent prison like I work in, you get this training on a regular basis of, paying attention to your environment. And it, for me, it's a huge contrast in what I actually see out in society. In society, what I see is people who are going out to eat and sitting in front of people that they love, and they're not talking to each other, they're on their phones. <laughs> and I see people walking around on their phones. And 
not paying attention to what's going on around them. And the people that I work with on a regular basis, I can tell you if you're one of those that just can't get your face away from your phone, you're an easy target. You're not aware of what's going on around you. You're, you're focused on something that's not that important, but you're going to stay on that. That's what people do. That's what I see. And the, the more training I get, the more I see, oh my goodness, we, we're in a world where people don't, aren't paying attention to what's happening all around them. That might be figurative, by the way. And Jesus tells them, if you look at the verse that we see the urgency, what does he say? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Do you know what he's telling them? The people are coming. They're telling him, Jesus, you should eat. We got groceries. And Jesus is hungry, of course. But instead, there is a priority. Do you not see these people? This, this is what the priority is. These people are trying to come to know me. That's the priority over everything else. Jesus, remember we talked about it last week, when he mentioned an Old Testament reference, man is not to live by bread alone, but on the word of God. The priority is doing what God wants. And we talked about the rejoicing. You, everybody rejoices when people come to know Jesus, the people that have been working on them for years and the people who get to reap the harvest. So, now we get to verse 39. We'll read it. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. Now pay attention to the first part. Many Samaritans from that town believed. You'll see it underlined up behind me. So you understand in logical reasoning, you have to simplify terms. And so to simplify terms here, it means some. Some of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, but it's a majority of some, or at least a big number of some, because it says many. Many. Doesn't mean few. Many. And why? You see an underline in yellow up behind me? Because of the woman's testimony. She told them about him. I hope that you notice what she chose to do. It's a little bit different than sometimes what we see in this modern era. Oftentimes, people who are supposed to be leading people to Jesus do a lot of leading people to them. She didn't do that. She definitely led them to Jesus, not to herself. And it says in verse 41, many more. So many, and then on top of that, many more. So there's a bunch of people coming to know him. And already he had, before this, more disciples than John. This is impressive. And notice his, his response. He was trying to get away from the crowds a lot of times. But more kept coming to him. And why did many more get added to the many? You see it underlined in yellow. Because of his word. The testimonies, her testimony, now Jesus' testimony. That's why they're coming to him. Don't miss that part. The next verse. They said to the woman, 
It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves, and we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. And a lot of us, we came to know Jesus because people that loved us and demonstrated Christianity to us told us all about him. And because of their testimony, we believed. And many of us grew up believing. We believe in God, Jesus, the Bible, because mom and dad did, or because grandma and grandpa did. You know, it's just, it's just one of those things. And then you get slammed by life and realize, oh, I need my own faith. You know, I, I can't just rely on the faith of my forefathers. I have to have my own. So these people were relying on her testimony, and now they have heard for themselves, and they don't, they don't need her testimony as their basis for all that they believe. They know the truth themselves. It's one of those things that you can get blindsided by criticisms of the Bible, God, Jesus. It's best if you know the answers. It's best if you know His Word. Read it for yourself and learn it. Then it's not going to be so devastated, devastating when someone says something to you and like, what? They don't believe? I can't believe this. It happens all the time. We'll continue with verse 40. After the two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Yet he's going there. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. And having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast, we'll continue. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he made the water wine. And in Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go. Your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. That's impressive. <clears throat> Notice the next part of the story. We'll continue reading. Verse 51. He was going down. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, Yesterday... At the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed, and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Now, I want to go back. It says two miracles. He did the water to wine, but I want to go back and I want you to look at this passage we already looked at before. So there we go. You see it in yellow, I highlighted something. Don't want you to pass over a little thing he says. He goes, he, he goes ahead and he does the miracle, 
But there is a level of frustration in his voice that you should be hearing as we read this. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not believe. It's almost like he's just making a statement. It's almost like under his breath, really. So we just got told these other people are listening to his testimony. They're, they're being convinced by his word, not her word. They're just listening to his words. They are not won over by miracles or signs or wonders. And yet this man, and you think about it, if this was you and this is your child who's dying, you're going to want your child to be okay. But in Jesus' mind, which is a good mind, he knows in order for this man's soul to be okay, he needs to do this. You do understand his child living is not the priority of this miracle. The priority is somebody else comes to know Jesus. That's what the priority is. It's always the priority. Jesus wants you close to him. He wants everybody close to him. That's the safe place to be. No matter how crazy this world gets, the safest place to be is close to Jesus. That's what he wants. The miracle itself is not as important as people coming to know him. I love using the King James in another time and place when Jesus said it a different way, but it's almost the same thing. Look at this in the King James. You'll see it up behind me. Matthew 16, 4, the first part of the verse. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. <laughs> it's the way it is. I would like to encourage you to avoid sensationalism. It's one of those things that we get a little bit caught up in in our churches Sometimes it's got to be all about my feelings. Sometimes it's got to be a, about some sort of emotional, euphoric experience for me to think God did something to speak to me. There are actually whole churches that actually, that's, that's what they spend their energy trying to do to try to get the whole congregation worked up so that everybody has this elation inside of them where they just feel so great. But it should be about worshiping God, not ourselves. It should not be about building up this emotional, euphoric experience. Sometimes the best worship that we can give God is to walk out of the building feeling like we just got knocked over the head. We needed to hear that with our tail tucked between our legs and embarrassed because we know we've been disappointing God. God loves it when we repent of our bad behaviors and come closer to him. God, I'm sorry. I can do better. Rather than feeling like, oh, I'm great when you're not. It's not okay to aim for this euphoric experience you think you have to have every time you attend a church service. That's fake. That's phony. And there are, I've even known people, I've been close to people. People that have a just kind of a regular, ongoing, encouraging spirit. I, I think I... I think of Barnabas when I think of this. People that just always are going around trying to build others up. And that's biblical, by the way. I've, I've had people try to use that as you should always be smiling and you should always be you know, acting like you're happy. I can tell you, if you want to be like Jesus, there will be times when you are sad, like he was when he was in the garden and on the cross. 
There are times when you will be disappointed. We'll get to that in John chapter 6 when many disciples leave him. You know he's disappointed. I know I've disappointed him. I know there's times that I make Jesus sad. I don't see him smiling on the cross, do you? It'd be a horrible painting, wouldn't it? Yeah. So let's not... Yes, it's great to be optimistic. It's great to be a source of encouragement all the time. And it's great if you happen to be one of those people that the devil never knocks that smile off your face. I'm not trying to make fun of you. But you don't have to be fake. And we don't have to aim for all this sensationalism. Every now and then, I'm old enough to have noticed, every now and then there'll be this thing where there'll be some sort of a, not just on a Christian network, but on a regular news thing, they'll do some sort of a blurb where it's amazing news, where the Catholic priest and the Pentecostal preacher get together and they agree and they're so united. They are so similar, it doesn't surprise me. I don't know why it makes the news. Because in the Catholic Church, which, by the way, I'll remind you again and again, I do not intend to make fun of the Catholic Church or the Pentecostal Church. They just have a a similar focus, and that is sensationalism. That's a a big deal. You you see that every now and then, too, where somebody will, uh, you know, a slice of toast will pop out of the toaster, and they take a picture of it. I see Mary's face. Don't you see Mary's face? Oh, my goodness, it's a miracle. It's toast. It's not a miracle. (laughs) But, or, or better hang my rosary beads around the rearview mirror so I don't get a ticket. I mean, it's just weird, sensational stuff. Um, and the same thing, so the Catholic Church believes in extra-biblical revelation. I mean, there's a whole history there where you've got things that are made official Catholic doctrine that are not in this book, but you better believe it or you're considered utterly fallen away from the Catholic Church. In the Pentecostal church, it doesn't, you can attend different ones, and on any given Sunday, you can hear somebody stand up and say, they'll stand, I've attended one a couple of times in the past couple of years, and the same man stands up and says, he speaks for God. He stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, and he speaks things that are in complete contradiction with this book, but because he's claiming it's from God, you just have to accept it. I could name names if you want me to name names, but in the men's, the the gym notebook that the men here have, they've got about 18 pages of people speaking things they say are inspired from God that are completely in conflict with Scripture. Modern speakers that a lot of people listen to. It's sensationalism. We don't need to get too caught up in that. We should be worshiping God, not our feelings. Second, or 1 Corinthians chapters 12 to 15, you can read all about that, where the first church began to get too caught up in sensationalism. You can also call it drama. We don't need more drama in our churches, so let's not create any. And Jesus, when he said a wicked and Adulterous generation seeks after a sign. He is not saying it's a good thing that you're looking for signs. And so some of you, as I just said these different things, you're thinking, well, I don't know if this really applies. I don't know if I've seen it. I, okay. How many have you, not, have you 
heard say things like, if there's a tsunami or tornado or evil politician or whatever, a sign of the times, sign of the times, it's a sign of the times. Stop it. The two priorities are to love God and love others. That's our focus. That's our main thing. So let's, let's not get too caught up in this sensationalism. If you want to talk more about it, there's two elders here and me that would love to talk to you more about that. The best thing, though, is just to read your Bible. That's the best source. Okay, so what shall we do given our text today? There's five things that I see. First of all, testify. That's what the lady did, and it's what Jesus did. You have a story, and if you know Jesus, your story can, can matter to other people. Your story will matter to the people you know more than my story will to them because they don't know me. I, I can't testify to them like you can. Number two, lead others to Jesus, not us. It might be tempting, especially when we gain the respect and admiration of others, to lead them to us. And let me tell you what this looks like. When you, what it looks like is, for me, what this looked like just this past week, I was Jim was mentioning being thrown into a situation where you have to do something if you want to be prepared. I was thrown into a situation, and I had to teach class, and I was not prepared to teach it. I did not prepare a lesson, so I just had to grab my Bible and teach, and I did. And God used the moment, and an individual in the back of the room who had not been before spoke up in complete conflict with what I was saying opposite, totally disagree with me, I disagree with you. It'd be real easy for me to want to defend myself and defend my position, but over the years, I've learned that's not going to lead people to Jesus. <laughs> that could lead people to me. I could stand up and argue and win my case, but instead, what I told him and everybody else to do, this is good. We have a conflict. I say something, he says something. Look in your Bibles. The answer is right there. God is right. Whatever we think, God is right. Go there. Don't lead people to you. Lead people to Jesus. It's tempting to do the other. Three, look up. In other words, pay attention. In a world where so many people are caught up in focusing on their phone all the time, I can tell you it's from the people that I've talked to about this and they start putting their phone away. It's refreshing just to put it away. Don't pull it out at the dinner table. Don't pull it out when you're out to eat at a dinner table. Don't pull it out when you're in front of somebody you love where you could be creating memories and you might not always get to have those opportunities to create those memories. So put the phone away and Make the most of that opportunity. Put the phone away and you, you'll notice a lot more. Those things that you weren't hearing and seeing before, you'll hear and see. And a, a new world can open up to you and it won't be as closed as that little screen right in front of you. But spiritually speaking is what Jesus is doing. There's opportunities right in front of us. The disciples... We're there, eat Jesus. There's nothing wrong with them offering him food. He's hungry. 
They went and got the groceries. There's nothing wrong with that. The, the problem is, now's not the time. There are people right there in front of us. Four, avoid sensationalism and unnecessary drama. I'm sure you've noticed drama comes. As much as you don't want it to come, it comes. Everything seems to be going so smoothly, and then the phone rings and drama. Or then somebody shows up at the house, there's drama. Or in, there's traffic on the way home, there's drama. Or at work, there's something that happens in drama. Kids at school, drama. Kids, drama. <laughs> Husband and wife, drama. It just happens. Don't be one who's going around creating it. There's enough that just happens. You don't have to choose to get all worked up about your selfish thoughts and make everybody else stress over it. You choose not to stress over it, and you don't have to stress everybody else about it. And churches have certainly been guilty about having individuals in the church creating drama where there is no drama, but they're good at making it happen. Don't be that person. And don't be the person that gets caught up in sensationalism. It's not attractive to others that we're trying to lead to Christ. Don't, don't do that. And number five, validate him. That is exactly what we're supposed to be doing. And you see, Jesus did it himself in the story because the lady told him about him. Could this be the Messiah? They go and they realize he is the Savior of the world, the Anointed One, the I Am. And in order for you to have Him as Savior, you have to make Him Lord of your life. You don't get to have the Savior. I know a lot of people like to live in this world where these, you know, you hear them say it. Well, you know, I might do this and that. I'm not, I'm not going to say I don't believe in God. I'm not going to say that. Because they think there's like some back door into heaven. If I just don't say that, then I'm going to sneak in. Or... You know, I might say some bad words, but I never use the Lord's name in vain. Because, you know, I'm getting in the back door of heaven that way. My Bible and your Bible teaches very clearly, you don't get the Savior without the Lord. You have to live for Him. He has to be your number one priority. In a moment, we get to witness somebody that we've kind of, I've kind of tried to drill it in her head you don't get the Savior without the Lord. You, you don't get baptized because you want communion. You don't get baptized because uh, people think better of you. You do that because you're trying to start your life new with Jesus. You're deciding you're going to live for him above anything else. That's a big decision. And there are some more than likely in the room that have thoughts about that. Uh, and the, we're having a, there's a, the person that's getting baptized is 11. And it's one of those things that you automatically might think, well, I don't know, are they, do they know what they're doing? I started a thing a long time ago when I started running into many adults who would say, I don't know if I knew what I was doing when I was baptized. So now I have them write a letter to their parents explaining why they want to be baptized. And then if their parents agree, okay, they are ready. It makes sense. I mean, in the Bible, you don't see any kids getting baptized unless it's the whole family. So parents were involved. And the good thing is about having this letter is 
the church keeps a copy, parents have copies, the kid has a copy, and later on in life when the kid might say, I'm not sure if I knew what I was doing, we can pull that letter out. Well, here's what you wrote. Go from there. And I, I said that. I said all of that on, pur- on purpose. There was a time where I said something just like that, standing on the stage, and as I was saying it, I told the worship team to come to the stage, and so they started coming to the stage, and I was still telling the story, and one of the worship singers had been struggling their whole life. I don't know if I knew what I was doing. And I told a story, so I'll tell it to you now, a secondary story. Uh, That was about George Fowle, who was the president of Summit Theological Seminary. He was a preacher in a church. He was a businessman and a president at the college all at the same time. Very, very knowledgeable man. He told me this story about his wife, who at night she would say to him several times throughout their marriage, and he was old. She would say, as they're trying to sleep, George, I don't know if I knew what I was doing when I was baptized. He's a, she's a preacher's wife, a president of a Bible college's wife. She shouldn't be saying that. You know, that's what most people think. And George was angry because she kept doing this and he'd been talking to her because it's not one of those things. I mean, you, you don't want to trivialize baptism. You don't want to... You don't want to, you know, just because you learn more about the Holy Spirit over the last couple of years, like, you know, I, I think I should have known more about the Holy Spirit, so maybe I should do it again. And so George told her things like, well, maybe we should just put it on the calendar so every year we can just do another baptism because you learn a little bit more. And he, we don't need to trivialize baptism, but finally he had enough and he said, fine. So they got dressed, they went to the church, just the two of them. And he did a biblical baptism, nobody else in the room. It's similar to, you know, in Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. It's just two of them. And she was at peace after that. I told that story, and I said, if there's any adults here, we kept the baptistry warm most of the time anyway. We got the baptistry warm, like today. And if you're one who's struggling, if you're an adult in the room, that's what I said, And you need to make that right with God. James says it in chapter 4. You know, he that knows the good, he ought to do and doesn't do it. To him it is sin. So if you need to make that right, we can do that. And the singer in the worship team put the microphone in the microphone stand and walked over to me. And I thought, what are you doing? And she told everyone, I need to do it right. So we did. If you're wondering if there's ever been a person in the church that after a message like this that quietly says, I don't know if I knew what I was doing and I don't want to trivialize it, but I want to make sure I get it right. So, Pastor, have you ever like done it with just the two of you? Yep. Of course, the difference now is we have video surveillance, so it's being recorded. So there's evidence, but still, uh, yeah, that can happen. I don't really care, but God cares that you do what he wants. He wants you close to him. If you need that new start, this is a good Sunday for that. And it very well could be that you're much like these children or people, adults, that for the first time actually hear the voice you need to hear. 